Hello, and welcome to Sustainably Geeky, the podcast for the everyday environmentalist. I am Jennifer, and tonight I am joined by Chris and Stefan. Hello. And we have a guest with us tonight, uh, Buzz, who is our evangelist, E-V-angelist, for those that can't see it. um, It's electric vehicle. So he is our uh, guest for the evening, and we're going to be talking, of course, about electric cars and um, specifically uh, Buzz is, has been a salesperson um, that specializes in electric vehicles since 2013. Um, He has a blog called my electric vehicle journey. And um, he's also on a couple of boards that uh, help promote the electric vehicle market um, and just sustainability in general. I'll let him talk a little bit about that. Um, Texas electric transportation resources Alliance um, and he is uh, kind of active in that community. So with that, Buzz, please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be the evangelist. Uh, well, it's kind of a weird journey. The, uh, the first 10 years of my career, I was actually a manufacturing engineer in oil and gas down in Houston. Uh, so I went from a guy who made wellhead equipment to somebody that's trying to push electric vehicles every chance I get. Um, but it was... And you can tell with the gray hair and all, I'm a little bit older than you guys. I, I reached a point in my life where I was looking for something that had meaning for my career. I went to work for Apple at a huge pay cut. I was a manager for Apple for three years and, and really enjoyed my time there. And uh, a guy rear-ended me on the freeway. My whole life is because of a car accident. So uh, oh, wow. we rear-ended. We'd, we'd had Lexuses, four ES300s in a row, you know, nice, safe family, four-door sedan thing. And... Uh, all of a sudden, I had to find a car, and I didn't have a lot of money for the down payment insurance pay, but paid off the car, but that was it. And uh, my wife was a smart one. This is back when gas was four fifty a gallon. She goes, what about these electric cars? And uh, we ended up getting a, a Volt. I came home one day with a Volt, and she was driving a Toyota Highlander hybrid, not a plug-in hybrid, a traditional hybrid. And uh, she looks down her nose at my car and says, uh, I have no interest in driving that. That's your And I was like, well, cool. <laughs> And uh, no lie, two months later, she got a vault. We revolted. Wow. And then uh, about a year later, we got one for our 16-year-old. And uh, at that point, you know, the dealership probably thought I was some kind of freak of nature. They ended up hiring me. And the showroom manager asked me, uh, he said, we've never hired somebody like you before. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is a, the biggest Chevy dealership in the world. I mean, this is a huge place, and you don't come in with no sales experience. And I had no sales experience. But uh, basically, what do you want your title to be? And that's when I came up with EV Angelist. And uh, so I'm spreading the good news of electric vehicles. Uh, that's so vehicles. cool. And that was back in uh, 2013, right? Twenty Or yeah. when did you buy your first one? 2012? Uh, the first two were leases, and it was 2012. Uh, August of 2012 is when I got mine. And uh, in fact, August 3rd, 2012 is EV day for me. It's kind of like a national holiday. But um, that's awesome. About a year into it, I called up the dealership and asked my sales guy, "Hey, what are y'all doing for National Plug-in Day? You know, now it's National Drive Electric Week." And uh, he goes, "Well, what's that?" And I'm like, "Oh God, you know, Kevin, you got to know this stuff. You sell these things." And yeah. uh, I pitched the idea, "Hey, invite all your your vault owners back, and you know, throw a burger at us, and we'll talk to people all day long because we can't stop talking about this stuff." And uh, the dealership hated that idea. They didn't want somebody in between the salesperson and the customer. 
but they knew that if you walked on that lot and said, Hey, I'd look at this, I'd like to look at a Chevy Bolt, about half the salespeople would probably try to talk you out of it because they just didn't understand the vehicle and they didn't want to look ignorant in front of the customer. It's just a natural human nature sort of thing. So they had asked me to come in right. to their sales meeting about why I thought this car was so important for General Motors and so important for the country. And uh, during that speech, I didn't know it, but the general sales manager leaned over to the showroom manager and said, that guy ought to be working here. And, you know, three days later I was. And uh, since then we've built a <laughs> EV and hybrid. Uh, it's really kind of a learning and sales center. So you can come in and watch videos, watch slideshows on the televisions. It's uh, because of my time at Apple, it looks like an Apple store. There's these wooden tables every so many feet. And there's displays on the wall that are constantly playing slideshows and video programs about electric vehicles and uh it's become a really neat place of community but you know back to being the older guy you know, i was just looking for something that would have meaning in my life and, and i believe the climate is changing i believe that we've got to do something soon and it's got to be dramatic and i think it will be i think it's coming guys there's a tipping point there's reason to be optimistic but i think you're going to see such change in transportation in the next five years it's just going to blow your mind that's awesome it's interesting that, um, yeah, that that's a big motivator for a lot of people. But, you know, I, I actually found out about Buzz through an article I read online about um, the process of buying electric vehicles. And this girl was saying how difficult it was for her to find a dealership, like you said, that would answer her questions, that would not try to steer her away from it. Um, she was very determined, like she wanted an electric vehicle, but... Um, you know, she had to kind of talk them into it or actually, I think she may have eventually found you and gone all the way up to Dallas to purchase hers, um, which is a shame because there's people that want it. And, and so why aren't more dealerships making this a priority? Why is it so challenging for people to get these cars? Well, that's the interesting thing being on the inside now, because I never knew how commission sales or car dealerships worked or anything. And to a point, the management can direct the salespeople to do stuff. But Commission salespeople are, um, they're self-centered. I mean, they, they have to be to survive and they are going to go sell what makes them the most money for each minute that they input. And I, I tell customers, if you find somebody like me that specializes in the electric vehicles, you've met a special kind of idiot who will work longer hours for less money. Because, you know, the fact of the matter is the profit margin on pickup trucks or SUVs is much better than it is on you. And so you can really discount a pickup truck and look like a hero to the customer, or you can you know, sell an EV and there's just almost no discount available and you look like a skin flint. And, and, you, and it's a much more educational sale. Um, moving somebody from gasoline to electricity was just like working for Apple and helping people move from Windows to Mac OS. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of doubt. They, the perception is the thing they're buying is much more expensive. What, what's going to justify that cost? And very rarely does an electric vehicle customer come in and buy that first time. All the time with pickup trucks, people come in and want to buy one, boom, you sell them a truck and they're gone. But the electric customer is going to come back three, four, five times and spend an hour with you each of those times with really in-depth questions that you'd better know the answers to. And there's a lot of salespeople that are, you know what, I'll hand that off to somebody else. They can take that and I'll go find that next pickup truck and make a much better living. So, you know, it, it is a, a tougher world for somebody that wants to sell these, but regardless of whether you want to sell them or not, they're coming. Mm -hmm. So 
I think you may have talked about um, we we need a different model to sell these these cars. Then, right? Like to encourage people to sell them or encourage uh, you know just people to be more educated about them. Is that something that you think is doable or? I think it's solution. doable, but I actually believe the very first step is the dealership needs to give that salesperson an electric vehicle for three months, and that's the car they can use to work in. Nothing makes you a fan of these vehicles like driving them. Actually getting in it, and you know, the, the test drives that I do, um, one of the first things we'll turn onto this back street, and I'll say, okay, both hands on the wheel, and, you know, I want you to be ready for this, and I'll tell them, punch it to the floor. And you'll see this biggest smile that you've ever seen on somebody's face when they feel the torque and the acceleration that these cars have. Because everybody think it's gonna be it's gonna be like having to eat your vegetables. Yeah, I've got to do it for the planet and I've got to do it for the environment and but God, this is gonna suck. And then they find out, no, it's actually so much fun. Uh, I, I I could not be the evangelist if I didn't have acceleration. You know, I love how fast my bolt is. I have a quick question. It's kind of for Jen. Ray was just listening. <laughs> My husband is the massive gearhead. He loves cars. He's worked on a million cars. We are very, very interested in getting an EV. Unfortunately, here in Ontario, the current uh, government, we have a conservative government here, the Premier Doug Ford scrapped all of our government incentives to buy EVs. So that makes it a little bit harder, but he wondered if he could just jump on and fangirl a little bit about all your oh, absolutely expertise. yeah yeah okay absolutely yeah <laughs> he's like, he's like can I he wrote look at right. these are all his questions in the last like five oh minutes my God. that he wanted to Ray is always welcome on the show okay but yeah I didn't even think yeah we're doing a car show he should be on because he does yeah always talk there about he is just, <laughs> just so for those uh listening and and buzz uh Ray is actually on a couple other podcasts that yes. we do through the Epically Geeky channel, um, Epically Geeky and Marginally Geeky. So Ray is, is a veteran podcaster, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, Ray, ask away. He's getting the mics. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he, I told him about this. Sorry. He must have forgotten about it. Should I take these out it's now? Okay. Yes. <laughs> And if you uh, wanted to come down to Texas to buy your car, I'm sure <laughs> it may would be cheaper. more than happy. <laughs> yeah, maybe cheaper and easier. Dallas Fort Worth cheaper. Airport is right next door. I'll pick you. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Sorry, it was. <laughs> okay, there you go. Thank you for letting me join. Was... Absolutely. Yeah, it was. Uh... I remember briefly that we were talking about this or this uh, topic, and I'm I'm so excited about it because we are looking at getting an EV at some point, and uh, it's just a matter of when. Um, and I have a lot of questions, and there's some things going on right now in in the industry. I'm a car guy. I am. He's an EV. He works at a dealership. Yes, yeah. I, I gathered that one. So I I'm. <laughs> I'm, I love cars. I drive currently. I'm driving a, a Mini Cooper uh, S. It's a 2005. It's a fun little car to drive. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's you know I've always been a fan of of cars that are still fun fun to drive, but also that are at least better for the environment than other options. And so, uh, uh, yeah, it all kind of started when we watched the documentary "Who Killed the Electric Car." Yes, great documentary. I haven't seen that. Oh, yeah. It's Did you see the of the electric car? I haven't seen it yet, but I know it's out. Yeah. 
Yeah. Who killed the electric car? I'm writing mm-hmm. that down. Yeah. It's a good one. It's still, yeah. a classic. Yeah. yeah. Didn't realize it that is they, now. It is now. <laughs> yeah. It's like. <laughs> yeah. Um, so sorry. I didn't. Are you okay if I'm asking these? I don't. Again, I didn't mean to hijack. I just. No, far away. I think it's actually really beneficial for someone like you to ask, you know, about the car aspect because I think most people listening to the podcast would be more interested in the environmental aspect. So, yeah. yeah so this is good. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll start with the easy one, and that's: uh, Is there any uh, upcoming battery technologies that uh, we should be keeping our eye out for? I know that we're constantly trying to get these cars to go farther and farther or at least um, better in the colder climates. So is there anything that we should be keeping our eye out for? I think you're, you're saying the, the last of the companies that didn't have liquid coal batteries will start to do that next year. It's pretty much proven that down here in the South where it gets really hot, you gotta have a liquid coal battery. Um, but that's finally happening across all the brands. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff that you read about that's theoretical solid state batteries, uh, graphene capacitors, you know, there's, you know, think, think that we're at 1912, okay? This is the gasoline engine of 1912, and you're saying, you know, what, what more could we have than this? You know, what's the next thing? And look where we are now. We're at that kind of stage with electric vehicles. We're, we're just scratching the surface, and yeah. these cars are already fantastic to drive. Yeah. Now, I, I actually, one of my articles on my blog I wrote was uh, – this 238 miles of range that the Chevy Bolt EV has, you know, is this bragging rights? You know, who really needs that? Um, if you can fill up your gas tank at your own home every night, you know, plugging it into a wall, do you need 238 miles of range? Do you need to pay for that battery pack? And if you're not planning on driving across country, I'd like to actually see them offer a smaller battery pack version of the Bolt. Bring that price down for me and let me give that as an option to my customers. So I think you're going to see a, a maturation of the market. So, you know, the quick answer to your question, and I'm terrible at quick answers. I'm sorry about this. It's okay. But, you know, there will be technological advances. There will be 500-mile cars. There will be batteries that are stable forever. But even with today's technology, we don't know what the limit is yet. There are There's a Chevy Volt owner out there that has 450,000 miles on his original battery pack. Wow. Yeah. How many cars have you kept for 450,000 miles? In fact, beyond that, how many used cars have survived to 450,000 miles? Wow. This has already happened. So the technology is there. You know, a a trap that I fell into uh, before I got my first Macintosh is I'd had an Apple II Plus. And the Mac, you know, came out with that wonderful Super Bowl commercial. And I really got sucked into the idea of the Mac. And I would subscribe to Mac World. And I'd be this close to pulling the trigger on this new computer. And I'd read, oh, my God, in three months, they're going to be able to do this. I'll hold on. And I bet I held off for six years. And, <laughs> and the thing I want people to know, even if you can't afford a brand new one, even if in the U.S. you, you don't qualify for the entire federal income tax credit, now that the first generation leases have ended, there are inexpensive EVs out there. You can dip your toe in the pool and not cost a fortune. And you can experience what the, you know, I've only been driving them for six years, but I'm one of the old timers, believe it or not, in this field. But you can experience what we're so jazzed about and what literally has changed my life. Yeah. So, you know, don't wait. Don't worry about what the next technology is. Jump on board now. If you have to find a used one to do it, to get it in your price range, do it. 
Um, you know, read all the reviews you can. Get on the Facebook uh, owner groups for these cars and ask them what they think about them. And you'll, you'll pull the trigger and you will not ever regret it. It'll be the coolest thing you've done. I, I pulled up to a stoplight and a white Corvette pulled up in my peripheral vision to the left. And I knew that one of my neighbors here is a good buddy of mine had bought a Z51 C7 Corvette. The light turns green and I punch it. And zero to 30, this Corvette had to work hard to keep up with me. Now, zero to 60, he blew my doors. But as he passed by, he gave me the V for Volt thing. So he, he showed respect. You, if you're, especially if you're a car guy, it's... It doesn't have to be about the environment. It, it can be about just the pure fun of driving. Yeah. That's it. And so, the, oh, sorry. No, I was just going to ask a related question. What is the lifespan of a battery today? Like, We honestly don't yeah. know. You know the, and, and, and the lifespan for the car is not what the lifespan will be for that battery. What I mean by that is you might allow your battery to go to where you're only getting 75% of the original range. And by the way, that guy at 450,000 miles on the Volt had no measurable degradation. So we still don't know how long he's going to have that full 35 miles of range every day from the original Volt. But, you know, it's just, it's not a concern. If at some point the new modular batteries start to go bad, they can pull out a few cells. You don't replace an entire battery pack. One of the questions I always get is, what's it going to cost me to replace the battery pack? You're never going to, so who cares? You know, it really comes down to that. They're that reliable now, and they're only going to get better. Yeah, that's a big argument I always hear is, oh, but the batteries are so expensive, and when you have to replace them, it's like, you know, replacing XYZ on your car that runs on gas. But you don't have the maintenance that you have on a gas car. Like, you don't have the oil changes, and, you right. know, I mean, you got to replace your tires, but essentially your motor is just everything well, that connects to the battery, right? <laughs> EVs brakes are even like, especially with the new regeneration technology that they're using, uh, the brakes, you're even saving on brakes because you're using the engine to slow yourself down, which means that you're actually creating more electricity. And, and that guy with the Volt was on his original brakes as well as what I've read. I mean, can you imagine 450,000 miles on your original brakes? <laughs> Not a chance. Not a chance. <laughs> so how much money do you save over the life of your car by not doing all that? Jeez. Well, I can tell you that I used to spend, now this was an ES300, 22 miles per gallon, but I used to spend about $2,200 a year on gasoline. And with electricity and gas combined last year, I spent $334. Wow. And that's over one year. Now, I've got to throw some other caveats in there. Back when I drove gas cars, gas was more expensive than it is now. But it still is a substantial savings. Um, because the gasoline engine in the Volt almost never runs, uh, the computer tells me when it's time to change oil. So in every Volt I've owned up to this point, the first oil change comes up at the two-year mark. Hmm. So, you know, most people are doing oil changes every three to six months. I'm doing them every two years. Uh, but the coolest thing, believe it or not, is not going to a gas station. It's just going home. There's the cord, plug it in the car, walk in the house, go to sleep. And every day you walk out with a full gas gas tank, basically, as much range as that battery pack has. And, the, you know, once a year when I have to go buy gas, I actually pull up to the wrong side of the gas pump because I'm thinking of where the charge port is rather than where the gas port is. 
and I have to you know, do that 180 degree embarrassing turn in front of everybody. But I will stand there and look at all of you people. And I think you guys do this every five days or so. You get out of your car in this smelly area. And Suckers. You stand out here in the, yeah. or in the cold and you do this. And I've actually had potential customers say, well, isn't a pain in the butt to have to plug your car in every night? No, that's at home. You know, a pain in the butt is having to go down to some gas station and sand outdoors. And a guy comes up and says, hey, man, I don't have any money. Can you give me a buck so I can get home? And and then the card reader is not working and the intercom comes on. Oh, you got to come to the cashier to pay for this thing. Ah! Yeah. And with me, it's about every three days because my commute oh, is about it's over 60 miles yeah. one way. So I drive like, yeah, <laughs> even carpooling. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I, I'm glad you talked about uh, cost of ownership because I think that's a big question a lot of people have because they're simply not familiar with electric cars, EVs. Talk, could you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think there's a perception that, hey, these cars are more expensive and, you know, I'll, I'm looking to save money. Over the lifetime of the car, though, would that, would that even out? Oh, it, also it, the electric cost. Uh, if you think about it, even if I'm only saving a thousand dollars a year, let's say. Now the I, I just got a Volt, and it was a top of the line, you know, just about every option car, and I think I, I spent roughly forty k, let's say. Well, then the government incentives available to me where I live are about ten thousand dollars. Now we're talking about a thirty thousand dollar car, and if I go and that 2200 a year, I, I, or actually it was 1900 a year I was saving. Let's cut that in half. Let's say $1,000 a year is all I'm saving on oil changes, which I didn't even have in that original calculation, but oil changes, gas savings, all that. Um, so that's, and I keep the car five years. That's another $5,000. So now we're, we're down around a $25,000 car. Mm -hmm. Okay. And after the five years, guess what? The gas-powered car still has to buy more gas, and I still get to save more money by using electricity. So the savings go on longer and longer. You know, the longer you can keep that car running, if you're satisfied with it, then you know, holy cow, it's just going to get better and better. But to get, and, and I don't know, I don't know a lot of different car brands of the various models, but the closest thing to the Volt that Chevy makes is a car called the Cruise, roughly the same size gasoline power. You're talking about a, a top of the line Volt getting down into the, a mid range cruise range of things. And, you know, I have not, I, I love the hatchback cruise. I got nothing against it, but that engine is not going to go 450,000 miles. But that electric car will hmm. and do it with much less maintenance. And, uh, now, what, what are the... No, I'm never going back. I, I actually test drove a gasoline convertible because they weren't selling the 2016 Volt in Texas. I had a Triumph TR6 two-seat roadster back in the mid-'80s. And uh, the customer was trade or was not trading in his convertible, but I was taking some pictures of it. It was a uh, Pontiac Solstice GXP Turbo, bright canary yellow. And I, you know, he threw the keys at me. said, hey, it looks like you, look, you like my car. You know, take it for a drive. Maybe I'll sell it to you. So I went around the corner of that north, that same street I do all my Volt and Bolt test drives on, and I punched it in that car. 
and I felt the gasoline lag and I felt the turbo lag. And I didn't even go around the block. I just said, you turn the head back. Once you make this crossover to electric cars, yes, the money savings is a big thing. I think especially over the next few years, as we see the environment getting, or the climate getting worse and worse and, and the damage that's being caused by getting worse and worse, it's going to start being really important to everybody. But you add to that the joy of just driving something that is so carefree and so much fun to drive. And it's just kind of a no brainer. And there's a thing in the world of automobile sales called butts and seats. You know, you can come in and ask me questions uh, all day long, trying to get the root of the technical issues and, and future development pathways and savings and all that. But if I don't get your butt into the seat of that car and your foot pushed down on the accelerator, you're not going to believe anything I tell you. And so one of my very first questions when I meet a new customer is, hey, have you driven an electric car before? And they'll say, you know, sometimes I say no. And I say, well, we're going to stop right now. I said, I'm going to make your day. Let's go. And we'll go. And that's the very first thing we do. And the rest of it's downhill because now they're excited about the car. They know it's not going to be having to eat their vegetables. And now they're just going to ask those lifestyle questions that you're asking right now and you're asking right now. Uh, but the base question is, can I enjoy driving this car has been answered. And once we get that out of the way, the rest of it's easy because it really is a no brainer. Now, I was a manufacturing engineer. I'm a spreadsheet kind of guy. And before I bought my, or at least my very first Volt, I had to sit down and create a spreadsheet comparing it to other cars I was looking at and trying to account for savings and oil changes, uh, savings running on electricity instead of gasoline with no experience at all. And uh, I just needed it to help me make that decision since I'm a numbers-driven guy. So I, I created the spreadsheet, ran all the numbers, and it looked like, yeah, this car actually is going to save us some money over getting a regular gasoline-powered car, even though it, it's more expensive. And so we pulled the trigger, and one of the predictions that it made was that I was going to be around 75% electric because it had 35 miles of battery range, and then it would switch to gas, and my daily commute, you know, basically it's crunching all these numbers. And at the end of the year, I was 74-point-something electric. So it turned out the spreadsheet was pretty close. And I've refined it over time. But it, honestly, God, guys, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. I just want to say, I think Buzz is in the right career. Yes. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I, I, for sure. I actually drive to work with a smile on my face. I know I'm going to get to show somebody something that's going to blow their mind. And it's, it's the best kind of job. Mm-hmm. It is. But Buzz, I'm a little bit starstruck because you look and sound a lot like Dave Ramsey. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity. I mean, you are a celebrity in your own right, but you know. Actually, the, I was talking to a friend of mine about this today. In person, I actually look like four different people. Uh, none of them are very attractive. Uh, do you know who Mike is on uh, Breaking Bad? Uh huh. I look a lot like Mike if I'm completely <laughs> retired. And then the actual, the the dad from Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a certain pair of glasses that when I wear those, I bought the hat. So when I wear the hat and the glasses, people immediately are, oh my God. And uh, Bruce Willis back in the, uh, I didn't have his body, but I have his bald head. <laughs> and then uh, Donald Plaisance from movies back in the 60s. And I always hated that guy. He was the biggest wuss, you know, I thought. <laughs> No, nobody handsome, just those guys. (laughs) Well, um, Well, yeah, sorry, if I can jump in again. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, right. 
Go ahead. Oh, that's right. You got a list. Listen, he does. Sorry, he's been a... checking. <laughs> no, this is great. <laughs> Hopefully, we answered a couple though in that through it through that. Yep. Yep. Um, well, you guys were talking about the the cost savings and stuff like that. So, um, have you? There's there's a channel on YouTube called Engineering Explained, and uh, he goes into the the different costs and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to to check him out or not, but he actually breaks it down. He even talks about a couple of different states how much it costs uh, to charge it, uh, but it also uh, breaks it down to what the CO two levels are uh, to charge it based on whether you're in one state compared to another. So. Yeah. Um, it, it's pretty cool that he was, he broke all that down. Um, do you think there'll be some more conversion kits coming out? Uh, much like the one that they had for the, the vintage beetle and just, I think there'll, there'll always be a hobbyist market like that. The first exposure I got to a group of EV fans when I was first shopping around and got my first vault was, uh, the North Texas electric automobile association. It was people who were converting cars, you know, they, and they would get together and have meetings and talk about battery packs. And I thought, well, I'm an EV owner. I'll go to this. And it was so far over my head that it was a waste of my time. But I think there, and, and especially as you get older, there's this, you know, some car from your youth that you would love to electrify, you know, and, and have that. So I think that's going to be around there. But uh, you ever listen to click and clack talk cars back on, they're not on national public radio anymore, but they were. A couple of really hilarious guys sure. out of Boston. And, and one of the things that they said that was a real eye-opener eye for me is they said, don't go get that classic car that you loved as a kid. The technology today is so much better. The suspension, the safety systems, the brakes, everything is so much better that you should just go find a new car that you like and do that. Um, so the, the quick answer is that there that market will always be there, but I think it's getting smaller and smaller over time because it's just so expensive compared to buying one that's a mass produced, you know, in a, an assembly line. But there's going to be people that there's some car out of their youth they want, you know. Yeah, a classic mini would be fun for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so uh, taking it that you work for Chevy, uh, just with this quick conversation, um, are you excited for the new uh, the high performance Chevy Camaro concept that was really uh, just released? Well, that was just a prototype. That that wasn't you know something that's that they've announced for production yet. Oh please, no. God, do that! Oh, I know it's a quarter mile in nine seconds. It's oh insane. yeah, oh yeah. You know, I have all these people who drive Corvettes and, and, and Camaros tell me, oh, I just I don't think I could live without the throaty rumble of my V eight. And I'm thinking, well, how about getting down the track in nine seconds, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, there, there is a whole change coming. And, and, and I think that for some reason, masculinity has been assigned to big V8s and diesels. And lack of masculinity, for some reason, is being assigned to EV owners. You know, the, oh, the EV owners, you know, the, think about our current political uh climate you know snowflakes we care about the environment you know blah 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 yes i have empathy you know and i don't think it's a character flaw i think it's a good thing but um you know i think that the definition of masculinity is actually going to change as this revolution with cars changes and that when we realize that we're actually we have a very big responsibility as stewards of this planet that we've got to quit you know there uh, and I'm not a super religious guy or anything, but there's some uh, phrase from the Bible where it says it's time to put away childish things. 
And, you know, having that big pickup truck where you can dump the black smoke out of the pipes, you know, great kid, guess what? It's time to grow up. And I think that that's part of what we're going to see happening is people wanting to take more responsibility. Maybe even our current political climate is trying to take one step back into childhood one last time where we don't have to say the politically correct things and we don't have to be the nice, you know, uh, empathetic person. But it's just that it's that moment of hesitation before society moves forward. And I think that I don't know how I got on this since I'm about electric vehicles, but I do think that there's a huge change that's about to happen to our society. Electric vehicles are just part of it, but I see a tipping point coming that the average person out there doesn't see. Even people at that professional car salespeople, they just don't see this coming because electric vehicle sales is one or two percent. But it's growth rate, guys. It's growth rate. And when you look at how fast this is growing, it's uh it's gonna be huge. Yeah. Ray Absolutely. asked about the prototype Camaro. I'd like you to talk a little bit about another Chevy car, which is the Bolt with a B. Yeah. I know that came out just last year, the year before, and got really, really good reviews from all across the spectrum. Could you talk about the differences between that and the Volt with a V? And Absolutely. what what person would each car appeal to? Okay. Um, we actually call them, at our dealership, we call them Bravo and Victor. It was, I think, insane to call them Bolt and Volt, especially with people that are hard of hearing. So if you don't mind, we'll use Bravo and Victor. Sounds good. Now, the, the Victor is a hybrid, but it's a sequential hybrid. It will stay 100% electric until the battery packs empty, and then it'll switch to gasoline. So I'm, even though I drive 15,000 miles a year, I'm about 96% electric. Um, that's huge. And, and I've got a lot of friends that had the original, say, Toyota or uh, the Prius. Uh, traditional hybrid, and if they're really careful, they could get 50 miles per gallon. I drive my car like I stole it and get the dollar equivalent about 100 miles per gallon. So, uh, what I t what I first ask people is, how often do you drive to other cities? You know, if you're going to go across country, I think for the next two to three years, you're going to have to really plan things. It's not going to be a car that you can just take on a spur of the moment like you can with a Victor. Now, I've, dr I've driven to Chicago and back uh, in a Volt, a Victor. So once I'm on a long road trip, I treat it like a gas car. Keep putting gas and it's going to keep going. The only time I worry about charging is when I'm calling ahead for hotel reservations, I'll ask them if they have charging and I'll stay at places that have chargers. But I'm only going to get, you know, 53 miles of electricity. It's going to go to gas anyway. So if I do that, it's really just to be as environmentally friendly as I can be on a long trip. Now, on the other hand, the Bolt or Bravo is able to go in Texas from one major city to another. People have come and bought Bolts from me in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and have made it without recharging to Oklahoma City, to Abilene, to Houston and Katy and to Austin. I to think Canada? Was, how's that? <laughs> no, nobody to Canada, Canada yet. Uh, it was all downhill. <laughs> but... Maybe this springtime. The thing that the bolt opens up, and this came to me later, is a whole new market. So if you live in an apartment and you have maybe a covered carport and that's it, well, you're out of the EV game because how are you going to charge a car? But what if you have such a huge battery pack that just like with gasoline, you only charge the car once a week? 
Well, now you don't have to charge at home. Now you can go to a public charger, plug in for, say, two, two and a half hours, get a week's worth of electricity, just like you go buy, you know, a week's worth of gasoline at the gas station. And one of my customers actually lives in an apartment, doesn't have a garage or anything. And that's the paradigm that he's living under. Now he's retired. He doesn't have to commute to work every day. But I think that the longer range electric vehicle like the Bolt, that's a market that I didn't see coming that is is going to happen because of what that car allows them in flexibility of charging. They're not having to charge every day, so you don't have to have the ability to do it at home. The, uh, the Volt is much, much roomier inside. Um, I call the Volt, a, the Victor, a four-and-a-half-seat car because the middle seat and the back seat is really for a kid in a booster seat or a child seat. Um, you've got a console that would come right up to your groin, so it's not going to be comfortable for an adult to sit there and send me a quick run to a restaurant. The Bolt battery pack is completely underneath the car. It's like the Teslas are. It's a flat skateboard design. And because of that, and because it's a 60 kilowatt battery pack, it's a giant battery pack, the car has a very, very low center of gravity and is much torquier off the line. It's slightly faster than the Bolt off the line. Zero to What's that? Zero to 60 in six seconds. Is it six points? Oh, yeah. Like it's... it's well, and it'll chirp the wheels. I know from personal experience, at 40 miles an hour, uh, off the line, it's made 0.85 Gs of lateral acceleration in cornering. Uh, I had one customer come in. It was a woman that competes in autocross, and she was considering buying the Bolt because she said all she'd have to do is put stickier tires on it. The torque off the line and the cornering was everything she'd need to compete. So if you... If you uh, now, I also believe the Volt is a much more attractive vehicle. Um, but I was still going to buy a Volt. I mean, I, I have to admit, I don't like the looks, but everything else about it, driving it, is what changed my opinion on that car. And I was all set to buy it, and then I got on this board down in Austin, and I'm doing so much inner-city uh, travel, and I've got family down in Houston that I decided one more round, I'm going to stay in the hybrid world. But... If I wasn't going between cities as much, um, I would have gone with the Bolt this time around. Mm -hmm. been very comfortable doing it. Now, the Bolt being 100% electric, absolutely no maintenance. Every 7,500 miles, rotate the wheels. When you get to 150,000 miles, you finally change the uh, battery coolant, which is basically antifreeze water. What are the um, financial incentives that a resident of Texas is eligible for? And what are the rules related okay. to that? Now, anywhere in the United States, there's the $7,500 federal income tax credit. Now, the rules on that are it's not for leasing. It's only for buying. If you lease the car, the lease company is the one that actually bought it. So they get the $7,500. Now, the problem with the $7,500 federal income tax credit is you have to have at least $7,500 in income tax for them to give it back to you. So I've had retired couples where for an entire year, their tax burdens maybe three or $4,000. Well, that's all the government would give them back. So they ended up leasing instead. So, but if you don't own a house, you don't have kids yet, and you make at least 43,000 a year, chances are you're gonna qualify for the 7,500. If you, uh, and I happen to know this cause I've got it as a slide in, in my uh, showroom at work. But line 63 of 1040 from your taxes last year, if you look at that number and it's 7,500 or higher, you would probably get all that. Money. Sorry, Canada, these are U.S. taxes. <laughs> oh, it's fine. Uh, we're, okay. 
Now in Texas, uh, effective on June 1st, they brought back the $2,500 Texas rebate. Now this is for uh, plug-in vehicles that are sold through dealerships. So Teslas do not qualify for this because they're sold directly by the manufacturer. But the $2,500 is a check written to you whether you lease or buy. There's about an eight-page document set that you have to fill out and duplicate and send off to the state. It takes them about eight weeks to send you the check. I've received one of those checks uh, from the first time they did this, and it actually arrived on my birthday, you know, so that was cool. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you fill out some paperwork. Uh, there's some things that the dealership has to fill out and sign that goes with this, and you send it off to the state, and you get $2,500. Now, at the end of the year, they're going to send you a 1099, and you're going to get taxed on that $2,500. You know, just be aware of that. But still, it's free month. Um, one thing about those is I tell people, unless you're going to keep the car until you've paid it off, that is not money for you to play with. You should take that money and pay it into the car note because that car in Texas is going to depreciate $10,000 the split second you buy it because everybody else knows that they can go and buy a brand new one and get $10,000 in government money. So they're not going to pay you full list. So if you're going to keep the car until you pay it off, then Use that money. Go have a great Tahiti vacation. If, on the other hand, you think you might keep it three years or you don't even know if you'll like an electric car or not, then pay it into the notes so that you reduce your uh, your debt. There's a There's been a lot of articles written that electric cars depreciate faster than gasoline cars. That's not true. Um, in fact, I've, I've created a spreadsheet about this, but if you subtract the money the government gave you, you didn't really pay that full list price. And when you track from that discounted price, then it depreciates pretty much like every other car, about 50% at three years. Hmm. Uh, now you really sound like Dave Ramsey. Pardon me? So, I said, now you really sound like Dave Ramsey. <laughs> I am a numbers so the, uh, These uh, incentives, is that only on new cars or is that used as well? That is only on new cars. But the buyer of used car is going to also basically get some of that money just because their used car is going to be so discounted. So it will depreciate it as if it was discounted from the very beginning. And I'm telling you, like my, my daughter's Volt uh, that we just traded in, the dealership has marked at $14,000. You know, who can't afford a $14,000 car? I know there are people that can't, I'm sorry. But realistically, if you're in the market for a car and you can afford a car, a $14,000 car that you don't have to buy gasoline for, it's not a bad idea. You, you mentioned, yeah. Buzz, about how a person can recharge their car in their garage overnight. Um, could you, like, what is the state, the current state of the um, recharging network throughout, well, I, I guess throughout the state of Texas, because that's where you live, and probably that's what you know best. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this. The, the Volkswagen Dieselgate scandal, the punishment for that, the fine, uh, quite a bit of it is supposed to be used for EV infrastructure. Texas is getting over $210 million of that settlement for that purpose. Wow. And uh, the government has been putting DC fast chargers when the government's been involved in major cities. And all that does is create islands where you can't travel from one island to, the, to another. So uh, when you introduced me earlier, you mentioned that I'm with Tixetra and that here's my T-shirt to prove it. So 
this uh, Texas Electric Transportation Resources Alliance, and we're a lobbying group, nonprofit down in Austin. Uh, if you're in Texas and have an electric vehicle, by the way, join them, techcetra.org. It's free to join if you have a plug-in vehicle. Uh, and they're becoming your voice for the government. So we overlaid the roadmap of Texas with the grid map for the electric grid to find the most cost-effective places to put DC fast chargers. So our goal is that by 2021, there will be DC fast chargers along the major highways in Texas, especially connecting the, the three major population centers, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, um, every 75 to 100 miles. By 2023, which is only five miles or five years away, less than, you know, a complete five years, our plan is that we would like to see those every 50 miles and work from the major cities towards the state borders to create, you know, inter, uh, international travel through, throughout the United States or interstate travel throughout the United States. So right now, and it's why I went with the Volt this time around again, I don't think the infrastructure is there to take an electric vehicle cross country, even a bulk at 238 miles of range. Um, you can do it every now and then. But another thing that comes up about this is you, that doesn't have to stop you from the EV revolution. Um, I had a couple that had, had gotten a Volt from me. They'd leased it. They were coming to the end of the lease and they wanted to look at a Traverse, which is a three row gasoline powered SUV. And they had raved about the Volt to me. And I said, wait a minute. I said, what's going on? I mean, did y'all have a bunch more kids? You know, you love the Volt. Why are you going to a gasoline SUV? And they said, well, every Christmas we have family come in town. And, you know, that Volt is only really for four people. And it's just too much hassle. We need to get a bigger car. And I call that car the 1% car. Because you're now making a purchasing decision that's going to affect your your family's cash flow for the next three to six years on a car's use that you're only going to use that way, maybe 1% of the time. So if you owned a Volt, for instance, you would save so much money on gasoline and electricity. And I wrote about this on my blog that you could rent a top of the line, fully loaded Tahoe for two weeks at Christmas time and carry eight family members around to anywhere they wanted to go in four wheel drive. So, and still save money, you know, compared to having a gas car all year long. So even if it's just for, for a daily commuter and you've got another family car that's for long distance travel, you can dip your toe in the, in the pool today, either, you know, find a used one, uh, or if you can get a new one, the new technology is great and it's going to last years and years, but it's just, it's time, man. It's just that obvious once you've had one. Now, the one thing y'all haven't asked is how much does it cost of electricity to charge the car? Oh, yeah. That was one of my questions, you know. Uh, here in Texas, we've got really good electric rates. I've seen some rates out in California and Hawaii were just mind-boggling to me. But it's about a buck a day to a buck and a quarter a day for me. So that's, you know, a whole year's of electricity. If I drove every single day, it'd be about $365. And you use Green Mountain, which is renewable energy. So you're still not contributing to pollution or. Right. Yeah. Green Mountain is 100% renewable energy. Now, the, the real world, the grid, you never know where your electrons came from. And if there are days where there isn't any wind blowing, then Green Mountain has to buy electricity on the, the 
open market and they'll end up buying, you know, pol pollution causing electricity. But their commitment to their customers, they'll then turn around and buy an equivalent amount of renewable energy from another renewable energy company. Um, I've been a customer of theirs for about 15 years. The reason I'm a customer of theirs right now is about well, almost two years ago, we put 38 solar panels up on the roof and uh, Green Mountain pays full retail for any surplus that I generate. So they pay me exactly what I would pay them for that amount of electricity and the Encore transfer fee. So that's uh, great. Yeah, it, it works out well for us. We were charging three volts in the driveway in June. And, you know, June's not super hot, but our electric bill was $11.50 that month. So that's pretty much. So that's another question I had was, uh, you know, you went from zero electric vehicles to three. Yeah. Most people think going to one is going to overload you know, my, my electric uh, system or the grid or whatever. So what was your experience with that? Did you have to install any special plugs or um, I've heard that some cars will charge on a regular plug. It just takes forever. So yeah. you probably want to install a better system. I think if you, if you commute 40 miles a day or less, a 110 charger might be sufficient. And then it's just like plugging in a, a smartphone when you get home. Now, if you're driving more miles than that, then how fast you can recharge with 110 becomes a limiting factor and you can't refill that battery overnight. So you might as well get the next step up, which is called a level two charger. Now, a level two charger is a 220 to 240 volt charger. Um, a dryer outlet is what you plug into similar to, you know, or not similar. It's dryers or electric dryers have a 220 uh, plug. So, but you need that to be the only thing on that circuit. So, Almost always, you'll have to have an electrician come out and put in that circuit for you. Uh, chargers, you know, 550 bucks, so it's not a big deal, but it can cut your charge time down. Say in the Bolt, the Bravo, um, if you were on 110 and the battery was almost completely depleted, it could be 25 hours to fill that battery. But if you had a level two charger, then it would fill it in nine hours. So while you slept and you'd come out, the battery's full the next day. In the case of the Victor or the Bolt, uh, the First and second generation would fill up the battery in uh, four and a half hours, four to four and a half hours. This year, they've come out with a faster charger in the Premier, so it's down to about two, two and a half hours. But for the for the average person in the United States, I think 80% of us drive 40 miles or less per day. So most of us could probably get by with just regular 110 outlet. You just need to find an outlet that doesn't have a refrigerator or a freezer or something else uh, on it. And what I found is the best spot in the, the first night I brought my, my first vault home. I plugged it in. It starts charging. The lights are flashing and all. And I go in the house. About 30 minutes later, young new car. I got to go out to see how's it doing. And it wasn't charging anymore. It tripped the breaker. And it, the reason was we had an industrial freezer and a beer fridge out in the garage, and they were on the same circuit as tripping breakers. So quick lesson from Buzz, learn this. If you have a garage door opener on your ceiling and you've got an outlet in your ceiling, usually that's a 15-amp circuit, and the only thing on it is that garage door opener. So the only time it's pulling electricity is when you're opening or closing the garage door. It's the perfect place to plug in your charger and just hang the cable down next to the car and plug it in. You Great won't trip everything will be groovy. So uh, just a, a quick, I'm going to jump back in here if that's okay. Um, you mentioned the whole uh, um, 
Dieselgate and the TDI uh, issue from VW. Uh, do you think EVs are going to save them? I, I know that they're really pushing hard to get their EV game up to snuff. So, Well, the big thing that's going to save Volkswagen is that the, the old hippie bus that they've remodeled as an electric vehicle is called the bus. And so by naming it after me, Volkswagen, <laughs> the lust for the future. That was a smart uh, move. No, I think that when you get right down to it, and I hate to say this, but having actually worked for Green Mountain for a little while, about six months, the average American does not care about the environment. And we're kidding ourselves if we think that's why most people are going to buy an electric car. It's just not going to happen for that reason. And, uh, well, I'm kind of at a stopping point there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I'm with you. Um, I, I do think we have short memories because of that. I think as horrendous as that was, 99% of Americans don't think any, anything of it. I know a lot of Volkswagen owners got to come into dealerships like mine and say, hey, Volkswagen's having to pay me $9,000 to take my car back. I'm in the market for a new car. Yeah. So even those people who were burnt by what happened, got some cash, everything turned out okay. They probably aren't going to hold a grudge. Yeah. Um, last question on my part, if that's okay. Uh, Please go. The, I, so I've, I've been doing some reading and uh, I saw that uh, I'm pretty disappointed Ford's cutting their small car uh, segments. Uh, in North America, it looks like Toyota is going to be doing the same potentially uh, in cutting some of their small cars. I'm a small car guy. I, I love small cars. I'm not. I'm not. I don't usually fit in them, but I love them. They're 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 a lot of fun. Um, so, is there anything that we can do to help try and maybe um, like get uh, Tell the industry essentially that we want these cars and, and we, we do love them. Like Honda's making a, a fantastic little EV. It's called the Honda Urban EV, something that I love. I know she hates it because it looks like a it's ugly. <laughs> but I love I love it and uh, but it's not coming. It, it's gonna be in North, uh, Europe this uh, next year. But they're they're not releasing it to North America. And I know that's the whole standards and all that, that thing, but just is there anything that we can do to to kind of help out with trying to get these cars here there are these uh forms you can send in to the manufacturers they're can y'all see my hands at all yep <laughs> this big and on one side there will be a, a dead president and on the back usually some kind of a u.s monument and they come in different denominations and that's the only vote they care about i'm afraid so yeah. as long as you've got and I, you know, I hate saying this from being from Texas, but as long as you got Bubba going out there and all he wants is a pickup truck, even though he's never towed anything in his life, never carried anything in that bed, but he feels like he's not a man if he's not in a ram pickup or something, then we're stuck. <laughs> we now, all at know some them. Point, though, like I said, I believe we're going to see. Yeah, I think that societies go through different ages of maturation, just like we do in our lifetimes. And I'm hoping that we're passing into adulthood now as, as a species and that we are going to start thinking about how short-sighted we've been up to this point. I don't hold out a lot of hope for that in my lifetime and probably not in your lifetimes either. 
it's going to be a slow process. And, and maybe climate change will drive that much faster. I hope it isn't that bad for us. But if it gets bad enough, then, yeah, we, you've got Mad Max going on or something. But everybody buys pickups. 60% of everything my dealership sells is a pickup truck. And, and I've never owned one in my life. I don't so understand. Are, are, What's that? Are there electric pickups, SUVs, bigger uh, things in the works? I mean, I've heard Tesla's coming out with stuff, but most people can't afford a Tesla. And yeah, Tesla's announced a pickup truck. There's another company called Workhorse that has one that, uh, in fact, I think they just showed it at the New York Stock Exchange maybe two months ago, but it's about to go into production. Um, I'd be shocked beyond all imagination if GM doesn't have something in the works like that. The Colorado pickup, I look at that and think, if you would give that to me as an electric pickup truck, I'd be a wealthy guy. Um, oh, yeah. Via Motors, uh, Bob Lutz was uh, co-chairman of GM. He was uh, head of Ford, head of Chrysler at one time. Uh, legend in the automotive industry and the father of the Volt. He was uh, the top guy, you know, that oversaw the Volt project. Uh, you know, he's very despondent about the future of vehicles. He thinks that everything is going to be these self-driving eggs and, and nothing will have style anymore. Um, and that could be where we're going with automated driving. You never know. But mm -hmm. pickup trucks are going to be around for a while. Uh, but anyway, what I was going to say about Bob Lutz, he's now chairman of Via Motors. And they started out by taking Tahoe's Suburbans and Silverados and turning them into Volts. And so you'd have a crew cab pickup that you plug in like a Volt, but it still has a gas engine that would get the dollar equivalent of 80 miles per gallon, where most pickup truck drivers are in the 13 to 19 mile per gallon range. Wow. Yeah. You know, this is going to just blow their minds when that gets out there. Uh, right now, they're only selling to fleets, or at least last I read, they were only selling to fleets and they were very, very expensive vehicles. But I think that I'm almost seeing a, a tippy-toe thing going on where, look what Tesla's done. I mean, yeah, hats off to Elon Musk and Tesla. Uh, they sold tens of thousands of Model 3s last month. General Motors, one of the largest automotive company, companies in the world, over 100 years old, turned out less than 4,000 plug-in vehicles last month, or sold that many. Uh, so it's not that GM can't do it. It's just that there's a whole lot of profit in those gas-powered vehicles. And if you think about the way the stock market works, especially in the world today, all that the executives are supposed to do is return investment dollars to those stockholders and to do it this quarter, not 10 years from now, not five years from now, this quarter. And guess what? Next quarter, you better do a little bit better. And the quarter after that, a little bit better, or we'll find new executives. So they're all trying to keep the company profitable as it's about to enter a gigantic disruption. I mean, just think of everything that's in day-to-day -day life, all those gas stations out there. And what happens to all those gas cars out there as the gas stations start to dry up? You know, there, there is a huge change coming. You mean we, we won't be able to go to Bucky's anymore? Bucky's <laughs> will have row after row of chargers, buddy. <laughs> You wait and see. That one I'm, I'm expecting. And I think Actually, what you'll see is they'll add on a, a multi-cineplex. If you're going to be there for a couple hours to charge, why not catch a movie? Grab it. I've been waiting for that one because so our uh, my company that I work for, um, we have a few chargers 
uh, installed in the, in the parking lots um, so that the people can charge their vehicles while they're there. Uh, they're, they're getting more and more where we are. Um, we're, we just have a couple of small towns around us and uh, each, each town has at least two or three chargers, charging stations that are uh, level two. Uh, I think there's one that's a level three somewhere, but I'm not sure where it is just yet. Um, but yeah, that's that's the exciting part is that you do see this shift. Mm -hmm. Like I'm seeing more and more electric vehicles where I am mm -hmm. um, uh, at work. And uh, it's a shame that Ontario dumped the uh, incentive program that they had going because there was, for the long range, there was $12,000 that you could get back. Wow. And, and they recently dumped it, but uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe... Maybe our federal government can step up mm -hmm. and play some of that. But Come on, Justin. Yeah. One of the things that's been a concern for me is that either we are going to, as a country, invest in this and get on board with this, or it, within 10 years, we're all going to be buying our, our cars from China. Mm -hmm. Because Absolutely. this is just, guess what, guys? This is coming. It, yeah. you know, yeah. I know we want coal workers to have jobs. But they don't want to climb down that mine and no. die. Yeah. Well, retrain them. Like go put in wind turbines somewhere. You know, they might fall, but you know, it's a much better life. Um, I think Jen hit it though. There's there's an opportunity here to to retrain people and to get them into a healthier, safer environment in the way that not just environment as in our environment, but uh, in their working habits and and out of the mines and you know. Well, in that documentary, uh, Who Killed the Electric Car, they they interviewed a mechanic, a, an electric car mechanic, and his hands were clean. He's like, when I work on gas engines, I'm covered in oil. He loved working on EVs. He loved it because he was clean. He didn't have to scrub his hands. There wasn't oil underneath his fingernails and stuff like that. And that was the thing that I uh, that I was happy about is that they, they made sure that they touched on it. Like mechanics aren't going to go out of business. It's just that they have to change what they work on. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Every and industry evolves, and, and everyone. Kind of why not? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, when my when my dad was going through his career, it was common to work for the same company your entire life, and there was a a loyalty between the corporate side and the individual. Doesn't exist. They looked out for each other's best interests. Then, somewhere between his career and my career. It got to where you would change companies, but you'd be in the same field. So I was, you know, a manufacturing engineer that used computer-aided design software. Then I was in the computer-aided design software industry as a consultant. You know, so I was always in some kind of an engineering thing. And then I think what is going to be the way it is going forward is you're not even going to stay in the same career anymore that we will have to keep reinventing ourselves. And I actually think that's a fun and exciting thing to do. You know, I read all the time. And uh, I, I'm the kind of guy that's just driven to learn. I think that's why I adopted EV so early as I could read about it. I understood it. I thought, okay, let's do this thing. But, you know, I'm in car sales now. And I used to think that car salesmen were the scum of the earth. You know, I, I just never <laughs> could see myself being one of those kind of people. And I've been shopping for a really loud plaid jacket. I haven't found it yet. But, <laughs> no, but you know, it, it's, I went from manufacturing into software, um, into aerospace and defense, 
into retail sales with Apple. And then finally, you know, here I am in car sales. And I think this is the way it's going to be in the future for, for people in, in the workforce. We've got to keep reinventing ourselves. And it, it can be fun or it can be a drag. You've talked about the tipping point that's coming. And I remember reading recently that I think it was Volvo has committed to um, not having any gas only vehicles as of the year. I can't remember what it was, 2022, 2023. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. And so um, I just wonder if it's possible to be, to be more specific in terms of the timeline in the U S at least like, is there any way of gauging when you think um, the number of new EVs coming off the assembly line will be more than the number of gas vehicles coming off the assembly line? Is that uh, going to be five years I've off, six years? I've about this on my blog using the spreadsheet, of course. Mm -hmm. And I believe my prediction was it would be 25% of all new vehicles, and it was either within five or seven years. Now, when I first wrote this article, it was four or five years ago, and I went back within the last year and did an update to that where I was looking to see if things were trending. And believe it or not, it was trending better than I'd originally thought. Hmm. So I think the acceleration is happening faster than I thought. And, and one of the reasons is that these cars are uh, they're sticky. So once you get exposed to this, you, you just aren't going to go back to your old ways. You're not going to go back and stand at a gas station every four or five days. You know, you're not going to go back to a gasoline car that requires oil changes. Uh, at the very least, once you've stepped into the electric pool, you'll probably stay hybrid or, or EV the rest of your life. Um, and I think that that's the thing that is causing the acceleration of the tipping point. Right now, if you did a search in Texas for a used Volt, you'd probably find less than 10. They just don't stay on the used car line. They go out there, boom, they're gone. And that's a whole group of people that the way the government set up the incentives that were being locked out of this revolution, and now they're in it. And I think that I encourage everybody, if you're going to get one, lease it. And at the end of the lease, let it go back and let somebody else take over from that point and get yourself whatever the technology is three years later. Because the technology is huge leaps you know, every three years right now. So for me, I've been leasing them. We did buy out this last lease, but I've been leasing them in three-year increments, and I'm always amazed at how much of a leap forward it is after just three years. And uh, I think with that going on, uh, it, it it's just starting to snowball. And, it, and it's something that I do plot on my blog. Uh, and we hit, you know, President Obama was hoping when, the EVs first started, the new generations of EVs first started coming out, and this is plug-in hybrids as well. So December of 2010, the Nissan Leaf and the Volt debuted. Um, he was hoping that the U.S. would hit a million plug-in vehicles on the road by the end of 2015, just three years later. Well, it actually took us six years. We hit it uh, at the beginning of last month. And uh, before the end of this year, we will probably be at 1,100,000. So 10% increase just in the last two months of the year. This is a, a rocket ship taking off. Um, I was fortunate at one point in my career in the computer-aided design industry, this new method 
of creating three-dimensional objects came out and it was much more like constructing something in the real world. Somebody that had worked in a machine shop would understand this methodology. And it was going to completely revolutionize the computer-aided design software world. The first time I saw it, I was busy. And the uh, CEO of the company that I was working for that was selling this software called all of us in because this was so new and such a revolutionary thing that we were going to be doing missionary sales for a while. Basically, it meant we were going out like missionaries, spreading the good word like I am with EVs and probably not get the sale. But more and more people would learn about this. The more forward thinking ones would go ahead and get it. And then engineers all talk to each other. Oh, my God, this stuff is amazing. And, and he said, what happens is you start off with a very slow ramp. And all of a sudden that curve just takes off and goes vertical. Now, after it's become a proven product after a while, it's going to level back off again. And some new product as revolutionary is going to come along and replace that one with a new S-curve. And he called it an S-curve of innovation. And I got to ride that. You know, I, I went through the, the the missionary sales part, which you're going to starve for a while. But when that thing took off, within a three-year period, my income tripled. And I am seeing the same sorts of pressure building in EV sales that I saw in this software back in the day. Hmm. And, and I know that I'm on the verge, you know, if I'll just not retire too early, <laughs> ride the rocket ship again. And it's a hoot when it does. Yeah. And, uh, you know, any of you guys that are thinking about career changes, think very seriously about electric vehicles and getting out there, whether it's in a, a Tesla store where it's like working in an Apple store and it's an educational job or where you're at a real car dealership. And, you know, in a real car dealership, you're going to probably have to sell everything they sell to make a living. But eventually, all these guys that I work with that are, you know, poo-pooing electric cars, and they'll say, oh, go talk to Buzz. He knows all about them. Rather than actually make the sale themselves, they're going to be looking down there and see the line of people outside my building. And there's nobody pulling up in front of their building. And they think, you know, I probably waited too long to get on this bandwagon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I do have a question. Do, do we have time for one more or a couple more questions? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, as long as Buzz, you need to get off, or I have to be at work tomorrow at 10 a.m., so I can't be any more than 14 more hours, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, usually man. hard to shut me up about this stuff, so y'all are probably going to have to pull the plug on me. Buzz, I want your it. life. <laughs> <laughs> I just say that. I, I, I love what I do. Man. If yeah. you're ever up in the DFW area, come by and visit Electric Avenue. Come see what we've built. It's uh, it's pretty cool. I've got a question about the auto industry in general, because, you know, if, with EVs being so durable and lasting for so long, I'm wondering how the auto industry is going to continue to make profits going forward. Because I know, you know, the uh, these auto companies can sell new cars by adding features and making improvements, but they probably also rely somewhat on planned obsolescence. You know, just cars breaking down and people needing to replace them. But with more EVs on the road and less of that happening, how are these companies going to continue to, you know, be stay profitable? That's the question they're struggling with right now. And uh, whether it's planned obsolescence or just inevitable obsolescence, with you know, cars that cause friction, you know, with gasoline engines are going to 
wear out. I mean, it's just a fact of life. Um, and EVs will wear out. But as I alluded to earlier, um, you know, you might be ready to replace your battery pack when it's only at 80% capacity, but that battery pack can go use somewhere else, like a solar panel uh, wall, like a Tesla wall, to uh, take in that electricity during the day when the sun's up and then feed it back into my house at night when the sun's down, so I'm never having to buy from the grid. Well, electric cars, um, the cars are going to last a long time. But, and I think there's, there's only so much progress that makes sense. You know, do I need a 10,000 mile battery? No, I'm never going to drive 10,000 miles and then not stop and at least take a nap. So there's going to be a, at some point we're going to hit, okay, we've got enough miles. The next thing we're going to focus on and GM's already working on this is how do we charge them even faster? Uh, the goal right now is 180 miles of charge in 10 minutes and GM and Honda have joined together to work on that one. Um, but you're right, at some point, and maybe this is what Bob Letts is terrified of, at some point, our car is just gonna become utilitarian and we don't care about style. We don't care about colors. You know, I think that's, that's one of the things that drives car sales now is you see some new style. Or now it's got Apple CarPlay and Android Auto and, and I've never had that before and that sounds really cool. Or uh, voice control radio or it automatically hits the brakes for me if I don't see that little kid run out in front of me um, or it drives itself. You know, we see these new features and we want to go buy that car. And is that a good thing? Or should we eventually graduate to the point that cars are utilitarian transportation? And we don't care what they look like as long as they get us from point A to point B. And I don't know how we how we develop in the long run. If the marketing people went out, guess what? We're going to buy a new car every three years just because it's really cool looking, has some new cool features. Um, but you know, the thing that keeps popping up in my mind is Star Trek. You have a transporter that will take you from orbit down to the planet and back again. Would you pay extra if the sparkles were red instead of blue? You know, eventually you get to the point that, hey, it got me there instantaneously. I don't care if it's stylish anymore. So, you know, eventually we're going to get to that point with transportation. It may not be for another hundred years, you know, but we are creatures that are attracted by shiny, pretty things. And I think that's going to continue for a while. And there'll be, People that like pickup trucks, people that like SUVs, people that like two-seat roasters. And I think that's going to drive the market for the foreseeable future. I don't think we're going to get to the utilitarian point. But again, you're going to have, yes, you're going to need mechanics, but much fewer number of mechanics per dealership. So again, the disruption is not just to, you know, the oil industry. It's not just to transportation. It's, it's going to be to what people do for a living. And, and we, it, it is our responsibility to prepare for this. We're all grownups here. You know, we can read the writing on the wall. I've got friends that are working in oil and gas and they think electric cars are their enemy. No, you know, progress is never the enemy. The enemy is we can't just keep doing the same old things and prospering the same old way. Mm -hmm. We have to keep growing. And I think eventually we'll get there where cars are utilitarian, but 
probably not in my lifetime, probably not in yours. So, oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, you have to learn to pivot, definitely. The, the whole industry and the mindset of the consumer. Is and you guys are different. I mean, think about this program that you're putting out there. Just, just 10 years ago, only a major network could do the sort of stuff that you're able to do in your home now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the world's changing. The, the, the WYSIWYG revolution of the 1980s, you know, what you see is what you get printing, is now video editing in your home. Uh, 3D printing at your home where you can manufacture parts that you need right there at your home. Everything yeah. is changing in such phenomenal ways to give us such great capabilities. Here's a fun random question. Is it possible to pipe in like the sound of a V8 engine <laughs> through the speakers <laughs> of an EV? Um, yes, absolutely. And I have actually thought of that. So you would have to tie it to the accelerator so that when I push the accelerator down, it revs up. So it'd be a computer generated right. sound. But absolutely, that can be done. Certain, certain vehicles do that already with the. Uh, that have a V8 or a V6, and they, they, they that's already an option. They, like, is, enhance the sound or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, did, I did, like, uh, I read an article about five years ago that they were they were looking to put uh, um, a sound to EVs because people were going to get hit by electric vehicles because you couldn't hear them coming. Uh, yeah. One of the options that's, was that's well, no, one, one of them was the Jetsons, and I thought that was a, a <laughs> sound. That was actually what I wanted. I wanted to make it like a ringtone, where I could make my own ringtone, and I wanted that. That's <laughs> <laughs> cool. Now, the, the second generation Bolt, starting in the 2016 model year, they put that noisemaker on, and it sounds like a hairdryer on low. So somebody that's looking at their phone, walking into the parking lot doesn't hear that and think, oh, there's a car coming at me. They think, oh, somebody will blow dry in their hair. <laughs> I still step out right in front of you. Yeah. So the, the very first 2019 Bolt arrived, and it makes this most eerie, ethereal, UFO-like sound. So they changed it. And I'll have to, I'll have to get a recording of it out online, but it's, it's almost like a UFO is hovering by, nearby. Or something. It's really a cool sound. So, but I do wish they'd do the ringtones. I would love to. Yeah. be able to make my own auto sound what I want. That'll be that'll be the next thing that you can put in the next model to sell to more people. It's <laughs> there you go. Okay, I got a question. So this podcast is kind of for about the environment and stuff. So some people are probably going to wonder if I buy an EV, is it possible to? This is going to sound a little weird, but this is how some some of us think. Is it possible to, like, once I'm done with the car, like it's reached its end of life, is it possible to recycle it? Like, the part, the actual car itself, kind of break it down and recycle its component parts? The quick answer is yes. Even today, we do that. I mean, we, okay. we shred the metals, separate it from the plastics, we recycle the plastics, recycle the metals. Batteries, especially the current lithium ion, uh, batteries the stuff inside of there is just too valuable to throw away so once the battery reaches the end of life there will be companies that are harvesting that well i, I was going to say uh after watching the uh, engineering explained video uh he he explains it in there that uh 
the EV cars uh, are actually, there's more material that you can recycle in them than there is in a, a conventional car now. So hmm. and just for that reason alone, the batteries. So, yeah. I have one last quick question. Sorry. And it's, uh, <laughs> I know it's getting late. Um, we were, you were talking about the market and, and, uh, I always kind of I get frustrated with uh, the North American market a little bit because I look at um, I look at our standards and and what we what we have to create our cars to and we don't let certain other vehicles in because they don't they they match the European standard rather than ours. Just curious if we maybe it's time to go to a global standard and actually uh, that way we can kind of open ourselves up to different areas and you know what your thoughts are of that, but. But the thing that popped in my head right then is, can you imagine what it would be like the very first day that the citizens of the United Kingdom and Australia have to drive on the right side of the road? There are going to be so many wrecks. <laughs> I, I so the left and right notwithstanding, obviously that one, that, that standard can change because uh, there are certain countries within within Europe that even drive on the left and uh, or on, yeah, on the right and with the driver on the left of the car. Um, just curious what your, what your thoughts are on that though. Right? And realize I've only been selling cars for five years and I'm just a lowly car salesman. I'm not, you know, <laughs> up in the ivory towers or anything, but I think that being an older guy, one of the things I realized is a lot of these rules that make each country's rules slightly different is to give an advantage to that country's cars to prevent trade. And so I think as long as, and, and, and I'm, I'm so liberal that this might offend people, but you know, I think eventually the, the age of countries comes to an end. You know, why would we fight over natural resources rather than everybody joining together and figuring out the problem? You know, we, we talk about all this money that we, we spend in Africa and then the, the, the rulers take the money and the citizens never get it. What we should be doing is building infrastructure. We need to make new customers. And so you give them electric generating facilities and transfer lines so they can have electricity at their homes. You put in uh, water treatment facilities and wells to, so that they can drink water because guess what? Once they've got water and they've got light on it, they need to buy something from us. And we can sell them TV programs and, you know, whatever. But we're in this age where we're so separated from one another. And, you know, our country is better than your country. And really, guys? <laughs> you know, maybe, it's, maybe it's the perspective of being 60. But it just seems like so much of history itself is just needless squabbling. Global standards on a lot of things would make more sense, but uh, a lot of this stuff is superficial, you know. Well, you it, said, it doesn't need to be there. Yeah, it's interesting you brought that up because um, I was just reading an article to my daughter there the other day because she had to, she's doing this thing for Remembrance Day about, uh, um, you know, whether war is actually necessary and things like that. Uh, there's astronauts that have come back from space. And whether, uh, when they look back on Earth, they have this visceral change in their mind where they, they realize that the, the borders don't exist. 
we're all on this rock that's floating through space and if if it's not time or like if it's not time now to start realizing that we're all in this race together then you know we're, we're in major trouble because it's yeah it, it doesn't exist right it's all made up in our own heads you know and the and in the very near future you're going to get to the point that an average person can at least go up for a suborbital flight if not an orbital flight and we're all going to get to have that visceral reaction and it's going to change it literally will change our perspective and i think that's a good thing so i think one of two things is going to cause that next step in maturation and one is all of us being able to see this tiny blue ball for what it is um, and obviously television can't do it. There are people that believe the world is flat to this day. Mm -hmm. so yep. It's going to take getting every, it's butts and seats, just like in EVs. We're going to have to get the butts and the seats, send them up into orbit, let them see it. Either that or an alien invasion. One of those two things will get us to all realize that this petty squabbling we're doing among each other is ridiculous. And it's, and, and I believe 99% of the time it's to enrich a very small number of people, you know, in that country. So, when, you know, if Russia goes to war with Afghanistan, it's, it's the top dogs of both countries are hoping to get some more loot and everybody else is just going to get to die or suffer. And sooner or later, we're going to see that. Now, that being said, I do think that uh, the stand against fascism in the 40s uh, was, at least in my opinion, that was the last honorable war, that that was truly people stepping up to stop real evil in this world. But I have not seen that since then. Everything else to me has been corporate war. Yeah, I think aliens looking down on us would say, y'all are crazy. <laughs> what are you doing? You've got one planet. Why are you in these bubbles? And yeah. What was that? What are you oh. showing us? That's what this book is kind of, it's called Armada by Ernest Klein. He's the author oh. of the one. And it's kind that's sort of the premise of this book. It's yep. aliens looking at us going, you guys are idiots. Yeah, I could have been an author. Went <laughs> <laughs> in the wrong field. <laughs> yep. Again. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, well, I know we've gotten way off topic. Any other questions yeah. anyone else has before we wrap this up? Sorry. <laughs> okay. no, was, Thanks, guys, for having me. This has been really fascinating time. Yeah. No, it's been yeah, awesome. I, I just want to thank you, Buzz. It's been yes, really fascinating so discussion. You're welcome. Absolutely. I'm, I'm honored um, to be I have one quick question. Yeah. <laughs> one quick question before we wrap it up. Uh, so I wanted a little bit about the range of cars. If you want to go on long trips, it's not they're not always um, the best for that because you got to stop and charge. So that's been a big roadblock for me because I do want to be able to drive cross country. I go to Austin a lot. I go to Dallas, San Antonio. That's two or three hours. And I want to be able to go there and back without having to wait, you know, three or four hours to charge. Mm -hmm. um, but how do you track uh, where charging stations are? Is there an app? Is there oh. a community that, that keeps that yeah, up to date? Yeah, tons of apps for that. And uh, one of my favorites is PlugShare. Now, PlugShare not only lists public chargers, but individuals who are offering up chargers at their homes for you to use. Well, that's cool. And so it's almost like, you know, B&B &B or something. You can show up, go to their driveway, plug in, get a charge. So that's that's a really cool app. And another new one that came out that I really like is called uh, 
next drive, I think it is. I'll have to double check this, but it even took up changes in altitude. Uh, so you tell it what kind of car you're in from that. It knows what kind of range you can get. You tell it where you want to drive. And I plugged in that I wanted to go from the Dallas Fort Worth area to Corpus Christi. And it figured out that I would be down to 10% of my range when I got to North Austin. There were DC fast chargers there. I could plug in for two and a half hours and then make it all the way to Corpus. Um, be really honest with yourself as far as how many times you really do take trips. All of us, you know, want that freedom to go anytime we want. But when you really get down to it, I probably leave town once every three months. Well, if I'm doing that, I would save so much money by having an electric car that I could rent a car when I need to do a long trip. Mm -hmm. So think about it that way. The, and it, it is about the money savings. It is about the environment. It is about how fun that they are to drive. When you put all three of those together, it really is a no-brainer. Just you got to get your butt in the seat and test drive it. And mm -hmm. once you do, it'll win you over. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on. And um, real quick, go ahead and uh, feel free to plug yourself and the, the place you work as well as the organizations you're involved with where they can find you kind of online. Okay. Um, where I work is Classic Chevrolet in Grapevine, Texas. Grapevine's the suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth that has the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. Um, it is the largest Chevy dealership in the world. Um, I work in a building called Electric Avenue, which is kind of the nickname we gave it. Uh, my blog is called My Electric Vehicle Journey. I've been writing it for six years now um, and basically talk about politics, environment, um, and mostly about electric cars and how much fun I have with them. And then once a month, I uh, there are 10 vehicles that I track. And so you can see how electric vehicle sales are taking off and what I see is, is coming trends. The Texas Electric Transportation Resources Alliance, or TXETRA, is the lobbying group I'm on the board with uh, down in Austin. If you get a plug-in vehicle, please join. Please fill out the surveys. We are your voice with the state government, and we are going to help move this revolution forward by helping the government make sensible decisions. Um, you know, right now we're talking about where the infrastructure is going to be. But the next big challenge, and some states are, are failing this challenge, is how do we, as cars get more and more fuel efficient, even the gasoline cars, and it's taxes on gasoline that pay to fix our roads, how are we going to fix our roads and bridges? Well, we, in my opinion, we've got to divorce the taxation from the fuel type. We're going to have hydrogen, compressed natural gas, gasoline, diesel, electricity, and who knows what else. So let's... Let's divorce the taxes from the fuel type and come up with a different way that's more equitable to everyone. Some states are just throwing an extra $150 registration fee on EVs because they don't want to go through the work of figuring out what is the right way to do this. So there, there are a lot of things to get involved with. Tixetra is your voice with the state government on that. And uh, another big shout out, North Central Texas Council of Governments, uh, uh, EVNT or EV North Texas Committee. They are a great group of people. They're open to people attending the meetings and they are helping plan uh, the future of EVs in Texas and their primary mission is reducing air pollution. So they're a great group to get involved with. They have a great website. If you're in Texas and uh, need information on that $2,500 Texas state rebate, 
you can either find a link to that website or just look for North Central Texas Council of Governments. But my blog does have a link to that site, so you can find out what you have to do to get that 2500 And P.S., that was retroactive to September 1st of last year. So even if you bought one in October of last year, you can finally get the 2500 right now. Awesome. Very cool. Well, if anybody listening does end up uh, going to see Buzz in Grapevine for their car, please be sure to mention that you heard it here on the uh, the podcast. Um, and Buzz, we do a segment um, on each show called Green Life Hacks, where we share something that we, either a product or a practice that we've implemented in our daily lives that just helps us live a little greener and reduce our carbon footprint. So do you have anything um Specific. I, obviously, you drive an electric vehicle. That could be yours. Is there something else you want to well, brag on real quick? Well, the stuff is all old news. You know, even my lawnmower, my weed whacker, my leaf blower are lithium ion. Uh, so we just don't, you know, get gasoline. But this year, we put in a couple of raised beds in the backyard and started growing our own vegetables. And, uh, you know, I think that I'm really getting focused on things like pesticides. And, uh, you know, I, I, I I love really great homegrown tomatoes. My wife loves gardening. So I built her a couple of raised beds for Earth Day this year. Oh, that's awesome. Tomatoes, jalapenos, uh, lots of basil, and it's good stuff. So we're going to stop by your garden after we buy a car so we can <laughs> snack on all yeah, your Bring food. a bushel basket. We'll load you up. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Cool. So yeah, gardening is a great way to um, not only save money because you're feeding yourself, but you're reducing your time to the grocery store. You're reducing the, the time it takes for you to get the food. Um, it's healthier. There's so many benefits to eating, you know, from your backyard and local. Uh, if you're able to not grow your own, go to a farmer's market even. Oh, yeah. But composting yeah. reduces the, the refuse that you're sending down the disposal. Uh, these red tides that happen offshore aren't just... Uh, industrial farming. It's all of us putting all those leftovers in the disposal and it goes out to the ocean and plankton eats it up and then you have the red tide. So there's all sorts of things we can do. You know, our next step, we're talking about uh, water, uh, rainwater retrieval and uh, we'll see. That's super cool. Well, uh, Chris or Stefan, did y'all have a green life hack you wanted to share tonight? Sure. Okay, uh, so for <laughs> I'm going to get out of here because I'm in the way now. So <laughs> no. thanks for everything. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad because I don't know anything about cars. I just want one that looks nice, <laughs> drives, and is good on gas. Um, but he knows all. Anyways, uh, so for the last uh, almost two months, we've adopted a primarily plant-based diet and it was um this magazine national geographic blue zones uh and it is a uh it was a study done by um scientists and dan butner who works for national geographic and if you don't know what blue zones are they are pockets of the world's population that have a higher than average of people living into their hundreds so japan there's a place in Japan, uh, Italy, Greece, um, Costa Rica, and in California, uh, Los Lomos, I believe. That's where it is. Anyways, um, what do they have all in common? They all eat a predominantly plant-based diet. And 
we've been eating like that for about two months and it's been awesome. We had this really great uh, minestrone soup tonight. My kid eats it. She, you know, you get 12 year old to eat veggies. My son is way too picky. We're lucky that he eats quinoa. So, um, yeah, it's amazing. And cutting down your, um, your meat and your animal product consumption is huge for, um, reduction in agricultural land going to feeding the cows and the pigs and whatever just feeding them we could be feeding we have enough agricultural land on this planet to feed everybody we don't need to be eating um as much meat as we do uh consuming as many animal products as we do now this isn't a vegan diet or a vegetarian or vegetarian it's plant-based so michael pollan who is a american author has a really great saying says eat food not too much mostly plants and uh, yeah, and next year we will be doing raised garden beds as well. We just planted actually two apple trees this spring. So that's awesome. So that's yeah. my reducing your your consumption of meat is a big way to, to one of the top five, I think, to to reduce your mm-hmm. carbon footprint. And it's it's easy because it's as soon as you find something that you like, this blue zone thing is amazing. It's just it's science. It's not any celebrity endorsements it's not pop it's not pop culture or anything like that this is all science-based and what the science is saying more and more is that the north american diet is killing us we aren't dying of communicable diseases anymore we're not dying of accidents or you know plagues or anything like that we're dying of preventable things that we can do something about so yeah i just thought it was really interesting Mm -hmm. Well, real quick, Chris, Chris. That sounds great and all, but unless I hear Gwyneth Paltrow say it, I don't know if I believe it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> if we all followed Gwyneth Paltrow, we'd all be steaming our nether regions and eating <laughs> freaking detox tea all the time. <laughs> um, real quick, where can we find you online? I know so you're not on social media, but um, I'm a little a bit. Other shows. I'm a little oh, bit. A little bit. I'm on uh, Marginally Geeky, which we have a show tomorrow. Um, we, I'm on um, Epically Geeky, and we just did a show on Saturday. And on Instagram, at Cedar Birch Cottage, we live in a small 650-square-foot cottage, and so I document that through photos. Awesome. Stefan, do you have a green life hack for us? I do. It's a little one, but it's something. Every little bit counts. So I work in a big office building and whenever I walk by, we have a lot of conference rooms and whenever I walk by one where the lights are turned on, I'll just pop in real quick and turn the lights off. And sometimes the um, big massive TV screen that people use to present, uh, make presentations on is turned on even though there's nobody in the room. So I'll just turn it off and, you know, save a little bit of energy. Awesome. You guys don't have the uh, motion sensors, I guess, right at work. A lot of companies are installing those. They they some they do, but um, even I'll I'll even turn them off anyway. Just you know. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I do that. Uh, I'm right across from the kitchen at work, and it annoys a lot of my coworkers because they come back <laughs> and it's dark. But I'm like, nobody's in there. I just turned it off all day long. That's one of the good things about being there by the kitchen. So great. <laughs> hey, but you, if you brought in candles. Boy, it would really change the ambiance, and everyone would love you. Creep them out. <laughs> um, uh, you're. I guess you're not online still, right? Is not there anywhere online. we can find you online? If you okay. want to. So you exclusive here. Guess what my email, email address is. <laughs> <laughs> 
not giving that Sustainably out. Sustainably has the exclusive for Stefan. So, right. um, well, my green life hack is this nifty little container here. I don't know if you guys can tell what it is. Um, it's actually a collapsible water bottle that I use when I travel. And I have been on 10 airplanes in the last 17 days. <laughs> so this is my go-to um, on planes. And you kind of, you got to find the right spot. You squeeze and it pops open like this. And then if you, when you're done, you push it here. Um, so when you go in on an airplane, you know, you can't bring liquids and I don't like lugging a giant water bottle. Um, so I, I bring it in like this and then I'll uh, go through security and fill it up save money because those water bottles at the airport are like $5 or something stupid. And then I just have a little clamp on it to put it on my suitcase or bag. And it's pretty cool. So I got brilliant. it in a camping bag. Um, it's called a Hydra pack with a K. So if you're interested in getting one, um, I'm sure they make other brands, but this is the one I got through a camping box that I use for travel more than camping. Um, but great way to not use bottles or, you know, uh, disposable items. So. Yeah. That is my uh, green life hack today since I've been carrying it around for a lot of the last three weeks. <laughs> um, I can be found on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Het's Gonna Be Me. And um, of course, this show, Sustainably Geeky, also our parent show, Epically Geeky and Marginally Geeky, which is our um, book club. So uh, we're going to be posting this show up under Epically Geeky's um umbrella but we'll also be on stitcher itunes and google play so you can find us there uh, please like us give us a five-star rating uh, comment on our posts to let us know what you want to hear about if you have ideas if you want to um, you know be a guest on the show we're looking for people to kind of share their passion about the environment and what they're knowledgeable about um, again we are so thankful that buzz smith was our first get evn right. how did you say it Woo. Angeles. <laughs> um, and go see him in Grapevine if you're in Texas. Uh, he is the guy to talk to about electric vehicles, as you've heard tonight. And, and I'm sure he'd love to, to tell you even more if you go up there in person. So thank you again, uh, Buzz. And we will uh, see you guys next month. Have a good night. Thank you. Adios.